0: I want us to look at a point in Jesus's uh, life when he met the woman at the well. And just to show you how clever I am, when I titled this, I gave the title, Well, This Changes Everything. See what I did there? I, I knew you'd like it. I was like, you know, I just I just want to connect early on and be like, how could I just bring them with me? Well, Here's what happens, though, where, you know, If you spent any time in church, you know that Jesus meets the woman at the well, and we're going to unpack this scripture in just a minute. But her life changed forever. That that, that accounting, that that moment she had, that, that, that account at the well changed forever. And so, you know, it changed everything. And this is my hope. I I want you to think about your story and think about how God has transformed you. My hope is that as we look at the woman's life and how she gets transformed, that we can examine our own lives and look at the things that we may be allowing to stand in the way of God working in and through us. So you see, I believe we all have things. We all have baggage. We all have pain. We all have dreams. We all have what we allow to stand in the way of God working in and through us. And if we look at the woman's life, which we're going to here in a minute, and look at how she allowed God to use her, then maybe we can look at our own life and say, God, use us. So think about your own story. And this is kind of a rhetorical question, which means it's in your head. I don't want you to turn to your neighbor and share. I want you to just think about this for a minute. Just answer this in your own head. Are there things in your past, things that you feel are too big for God to overcome? Maybe there's actions or thoughts or things that are getting in the way of God using you. There could be pain in your life that maybe you didn't place there, but somebody's hurt you, and you're allowing this pain to just stand in the way of God using you. Or maybe there's just something that you did that caused that anguish, that, that brokenness to say, I don't, I don't know if God can redeem this. Here's what I know. Let's, just, let's start off with the truth God loves every one of us. So that this gospel that we speak of, the good news is that Jesus loves you and Jesus loves me. In fact, Jesus, God sent Jesus to the cross for you and for me. Because we just don't measure up. We have things that aren't going to measure up. That's what the word sin comes from. It means missing the mark. We have things in our life that we just miss the mark. Each and every one of us missed the mark. And it's when we allow those things to continue or to stay in our lives that we don't allow God to then transform. We say, you know what, God, I just don't know if you're big enough to handle this. And so we have this big chunk of scripture we're going to look at. And I want us to get the full account of what takes place because I believe it reveals an amazing insight into our Savior. But also insight into a woman who was transformed because she met Christ. So stick with me throughout this chunk of scripture. John chapter 4, starting at verse 4, says this. Now we had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tired tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And, And just a little note right there. As a kid, every time we talked about living water, I got a little creeped out. I was just being honest, because as a kid's mind, I'm going, what's living in the water? But what he's talking about, I'm going to give you something greater. I'm going to give you not only salvation, but I'm giving you my spirit as well. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is to ask for a drink, he would have asked him, and he would have given you this living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman says, sir, give me this water so I won't go thirsty and have to keep coming and draw water. And here's where it changes. He says, uh, he told her, go call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that this place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman? Jesus said... Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in the truth. And here's where Christ reveals himself. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declares, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to the woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way to him. Now, I know it's a large chunk, so I just want to break it down into like seven quick observations and two points of application for us to walk out of here with, because I believe if we look at this transformation story, it's just so amazing, because right before our eyes, we see it take place. And the first observation is this Jesus takes a break. We say, what's interesting about that is that, you know, here we see, you know, he says he's going through Samaria, he comes to the town of Sychar near the ground, the plot of ground where the well is. Jacob's well was there, Jesus was. Tired from the journey and sat down by the well. Which, which I find just really amusing. Because this is how my brain works. This is Jesus. This is God, man. Being tired. Because of the journey. Now, he's going from Galilee up to Samaria. Up to, you know, um, he, he's on his way up to Judea. And, and it's about you know, say a 30 mile trip. And through the mountains and the desert. And he's journeying. And it's about noon and it's hot and he's tired. And he sits down. But this is God-man. How could he not have just said, I'm thirsty, let there be water. Because if I were Jesus, that's what I would have done. But he had a bigger plan, bigger than anything I can fathom up. In fact, right there, what was going on is he had a divine appointment. He says, you know what, I'm needed here. And what's about to take place is this divine appointment. Jesus, he's tired, he's thirsty, he stops. And the reason he's stopping is because here's a woman that needs him. You know, and so what we see here, the, the second observation is that Jesus breaks these social norms. Uh, when a Samaritan woman comes to draw water, Jesus says to her, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman says to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And, and if you dig deeper, it, it even says, you know, Jews don't associate or Jews don't even use the plates that the Samaritan use. These are the people that you just don't associate with. But you see, Jesus breaking the social norms. Not only was he talking to a Samaritan, but he's talking to a Samaritan woman because he had purpose. And I see, in God's kingdom, there's no division, there's no these people and those people. They're all his people, they're all his creation. And he says, I have an appointment to meet one of my creation because she needs me. And so she, he's going to break every social norm in order to have this conversation with the woman because it was necessary. I think, church, we need to be breaking down some social norms. You know, maybe we live with the stigma that there's people that we just can't talk to or, or, or neighbors that just we're not going to go share with. And, and the fact is we have this hope that is in Jesus Christ that sometimes we won't even cross the street and talk to our neighbors about. When they want to hear it, they're intrigued and hear it. And where this came true was several years ago during the London Olympics, they had the opportunity to take a team over to London and, and share. And we had the task of being street evangelists. Where It wasn't like you know, yelling and screaming with you know, mega horns or something like that. We were just engaging people in conversation. And it's one of the toughest forms of missions because you have to just engage and share the gospel whenever possible. And so they were putting us in these little enclaves all around London. And they put us in this one borough. And it was a Muslim borough, a Muslim enclave. And we're like, okay, we're here to share the gospel of Jesus Christ amongst all these Muslims. But what was interesting is the minute we stepped onto their territory, they received us. They were welcoming to us. They weren't standoffish, and they engaged us in conversation just like we engaged them in conversation. And we had a civil conversation with one another about what our beliefs were and what their beliefs were. And I had one guy get in my face. I'm going, this is not going to end well. And he goes, look, I've been to your church. I'm like, that's awesome. Come back. We'd love to have you back. What are you doing Sunday? He goes, no, you don't understand. I've been to your church. And I like what I hear. But you don't understand, for me to give this up means for me to lose my family. For me to lose everything. And at that moment, I said, you know what? We've got to keep crossing these bridges. We've got to keep crossing these, these, these boundaries that we set up saying, how can we have conversations with people we're not used to having conversation here? Here we have a picture of Jesus who says, I don't care about these boundaries. I'm going to share who I am with these people that need to know me. I wonder who we can share Jesus with today that we've kind of put these boundaries up. Third observation is this, is that sometimes we just don't get it. So Sometimes we, we just don't get it. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that you asked for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw from. Where can you get this water? Skipping down, Jesus answered, anyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman just doesn't get it. She says, sir, give me this water so I won't go thirsty and have to keep coming back to draw water. Here, Here we see Jesus speaking to the woman about the opportunity to connect with the God of the universe. An opportunity for her to understand a relationship with the God of the universe. Of the universe, an opportunity for her to receive the Spirit of God that's going to be with her, that's going to dwell amongst her and in her. The woman's response, though, is out of a physical note. She says, Sir, give me this water so I don't have to be thirsty and keep coming back here. And what you see in that response is, you know, there's shame involved with coming to the well for this woman. It's noon. And she's coming to the well. Normally, they draw their water in the morning or the evening. They don't go to the well in the middle of the day. But for some reason, there's shame in this woman's life. And she has to come in the middle of the day because she doesn't want to interact with the community. And she's separated herself from the community. So her response comes from being shamed and outcast. And the woman is coming to the well to get away. There's a necessity, the water. But I don't want to have to deal with the people. That hurl their insults or give me their looks or look down their nose at me. So I'll just come at noon, at the heat of the day. And Jesus says, look, if you knew what it is I'm giving you, you would ask for it. And her response comes out of confusion. I think it can be interpreted kind of three different ways. The first is sarcasm. Her response is like, look, if you're better than Jacob, make life easier by producing this amazing water of which you speak. Or it could be a response out of confusion. Where she's saying, look, I have no idea what you're talking about, but if you can channel a stream to our village, that'd be awesome. That'd be great. So I don't have to come out here and put up with all this. And if you could do that, I'm all for it. Or maybe it's one out of selfishness where she's going, I have no idea what you're talking about. But if you can produce some kind of water in some magical way, then let's see it. And I believe what, what's happening here is happening in the, all of our lives from time to time when Jesus calls us and we are called to respond where he says simply this, follow me. And when Jesus says, follow me, we kind of go, follow you. I don't know that if I'm a, a, the disciple type. You know, you chose your 12. I'm not one of them. Follow you. What do you mean follow you? I'm um, just not into that. I'll go to church, but follow you. I have limits. Or it can be confusion. Follow you. How do I follow you, Jesus? You know, you're some guy from 2,000 years ago. Follow you. What, what does that even mean? Or maybe it's selfishness where we say, follow you. Well, what's in it for me to follow you? So here's the woman confused by the conversation. She's not sure how to respond to the offer of this living water for which Jesus spoke about. Sometimes we just don't get it. Sometimes we just don't get what's being offered. So Jesus takes it a step farther to reveal who is who he is. He, Jesus reveals her truth first. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever somebody knows something about me that's true and they're calling me out, it's kind of that awkward moment. If I were this woman in this moment, I think there'd be a very long, hard swallow going, Gulp, what's he asking of me? He says, go call your husband. And she's like, um, I have no husband. And this is where it gets really crazy. Jesus says to her, what, you're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is... You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. What you said is quite true. It's got to be one of the most awkward interchanges around. Where she's just being called out, where she's saying, look, I don't have a husband. He goes, you're right, you've had five, and this guy you're with right now, he's not your husband. And you know, we all know this. But she's going, who are you? I don't know about you, but I just don't like it when somebody knows something about me before I know they know it about me, like my mom. (laughs) Somehow my mom had a wonderful knack of always knowing something about me that I'd never revealed, and she'd always be able to catch me in it, you know? She'd always be able to just say, Tom, so what's going on here? And I'd be like, oh, and she goes, oh, what about this? And I just look at her like, how do you know about that? It's like, you're magical, Mom. And young people, parents know more than you give them credit for. We just don't divulge all the information that we have. We kind of tuck it away for when we need to use it. At the right time, we're going to lay that chip down and go, oh, but what about this? But here's the truth. Jesus reveals in who her who she is. Jesus knows more about us than we know about ourselves. We've forgotten more than he knows And he'll call us out and he'll say, look, here's really who you are and really what's going on. Jesus will expose your strength, your weaknesses, your fears. And here's the great thing. He'll use every one of these things if you let him. If we just surrender them all to him and say, look, God, I give them to you. He wants to use who we are. He knows who we are. He calls us in our state of being. He doesn't say, change so I can use you. He says, come, let me use you and transform you. There's nothing that we can hide from God. The fifth thing is this that Jesus then reveals his truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declares, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. See, Jesus wants to be revealed. Jesus wants to be revealed. And here's the, here's the key. He has given us his spirit to live out so that we, church, those who claim to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, can reveal him to others that need to know him. It's not like we, we sometimes take this Jesus and we put him in a little box and we say, I have my Jesus in my nice little box, and every now and then I'm going to take him out and show my friends. And then put him right back in the box. Jesus doesn't want to stand in the box. Jesus wants to be revealed. And Jesus in this moment says, look, this Messiah that you've been searching for, I am it. I am he. So Jesus reveals who he is to a woman that desperately needs him. And there's where the transformation starts to take place. The sixth thing is that Jesus transforms. Skipping down at verse 28, leaving her water jar. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. This is transformation right here. It just happened. We just seen a life be redeemed by our Savior. Here's a picture of the transformation. The woman at the well leaves Jesus, and goes into the city. Her whole purpose was to come and get water, but it says she left her water jar and went back to the city and proclaimed in the streets, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. I don't know where you're at, but if I'm sitting out in my front yard and someone comes screaming down the streets, hey, come meet a man who can tell me everything about myself. Come meet a man who knows everything I've ever done. I'm going... I'm good. I'm good. Okay, you know, in churches we tell people, this is how you share Christ with one another. It's called evangelism, and evangelism classes go on throughout churches. We want to teach people how to share Christ with their neighbor, teach Christ, teach them how to share Christ with their family, with their friends, everything. But this is not one technique I think we would use. I don't think we would say, hey, in order to get people to know Jesus, tell them to come meet someone who knows everything about him." Someone who's going to tell them everything they ever did. It's just not a normal way of going about. But what happens is, after she meets Christ and understands that this is the Christ, she's transformed and understanding she's no longer who she was. See, there was no longer any embarrassment of her past, no longer any shame of her past. Instead, she had a new identity, a new hope, and a new direction. So leaving everything, she goes running through the streets and says, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did which is interesting because the community already knew who she was. They knew who she was, but now she's going, I'm no longer ashamed of who I was. I'm now excited about who I am. The seventh observation is this. In and through this, we see a picture of a transformed life that is transforming lives. See, I believe saved people help save people. Found people help find people transformed people, help a transformation take place in others by pointing them to Christ. In verse 39, it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him and because of the woman's testimony, he told me everything I ever did. So here's the question. Are you pointing others to Christ? In all you do, as you go about, you're here and you're there, are you pointing other people to Christ? That's what Matthew in, in... Chapter 28 says, look, go make disciples. And that whole go make disciples is as you're going about your day, as you're doing what it is you're doing, make disciples. Point people to Christ. The woman's technique may not be one we'd ever use. He told me everything I ever did. Her community already knew that. They knew her current living conditions. But through her transformation, because she trusted Jesus with her brokenness, Christ was able to redeem a life and use it. So here's the big question. Is Jesus, Jesus is big enough, excuse me, for our brokenness? Jesus is big enough for our brokenness. Understand this, I don't serve a God who's only big enough to bless my food. I serve a God who's big enough to transform my life. I serve a God who's big enough that can handle all my crud and all my junk that I can put it on him because my Jesus is big enough to take it. Understand this Jesus we're talking about when Lazarus died spoke and said Lazarus come out of the grave and so he raises Lazarus from the dead so if he can raise someone from the dead he can handle my stuff. And to even go one step further he himself hung on a cross for my sin. And three days later, conquered death. So not only was he able to call people out of death, he himself conquered death. This God, this Jesus man, is big enough to handle my brokenness. He's big enough to take it on his shoulders. And this is the kind of God that I want to worship. I want to worship a big God, not a little God. But what does your life look like? How has he transformed your life what pain from your past what struggle has he led you to overcome maybe you're in the beginning process and you need to let go but he wants to transform these hurts in my own life here's what he's done for me not only has he saved me through his blood but he's used me through his power see I really liked high school I'm one of those, you know, punk rock, 80s hairband, loving kind of guys that just really enjoyed high school. I mean, it was the greatest social time of my life. I get to go and hang out with friends for eight hours every day. And sure, they had this little stuff called homework, but that really wasn't important. Um, It was social. And young people, don't use me as the poster child for what you should be doing. Homework is important. Because here's what happened. In my junior year, because I enjoyed high school so much, I had a teacher in front of the whole class go, Atkinson, are you going to be a mental midget your whole life? Class laughs. I get crushed. I started thinking, you know what? I don't want anything to do with this school. I don't even want to be here. They don't want me here. I don't want to be here. So I just showed up and went through the motions. And by going through the motions and living with this hurt of being called what she called me, and I don't think she intended to pierce as deep as she did, but it, it hurt. And I lived with this hurt. And I lived with this hurt so much that I started believing that maybe I am just a mental midget. Fast forward to my senior year. I'm sitting in the stands watching my high school class graduate. Because I just didn't think I had what it took. But I kept persevering, I kept persevering. And, and, and you know, I went to summer school and I got my diploma. Here's my graduation day. My teacher writes a handwritten note. Tom has completed all necessary requirements to finish his class. I take it to the office. I hand it to the vice principal who goes to the safe, grabs my diploma, and he says, here, graduation. That's, that's it. I go home, put it in the refrigerator, so when my mom gets home from work and opens the door to make dinner, she can see that I finally finished. I wasn't even home. It wasn't that big of a deal. I was done with school, no more. Fast forward to when God starts calling me into the ministry. He says, look, I'm going to use you. And I'm going, God, you know I'm broken. You know who I am. He says, I'm going to use you. I said, it's your world, not mine. I'll surrender. Then he says, look, in order for you to lead, I need to take you farther. In order for you to be a leader, I need you to go farther than where these people are at. So I need you to go back to school. And I went, do you realize who you're talking to? God knows everything about me. He knows my hurts and my pains and my struggles. And you want me to do what? He goes, I'm going to send you back to school. I said, I'll be faithful, but you got to do it. And if you want this to happen, you got to do it because I'm not a good student. I'm a mental midget. I enroll in community college. And the first day of community college, I'm thinking, what have I gotten myself into? Why did I let God talk me into this? God, you got to pull through. And I remember sitting on the edge of the bed, tears in my eyes going, this is for someone else. This isn't for me. I don't know that I have what it takes. God, you got to be crazy. And he says, just trust me. And he pushed me through. And I got my undergrad done in three years. I moved on. And he goes, you're not done yet. I'm sending you to seminary. I said, is you crazy, God? This is the mental midget. This, you don't know who I am. He goes, I'm going to redeem this brokenness. And I'm going to send you to school because there's more I would have in you. I'm going to take you farther. I'm going to take you farther than you can ever imagine. I said, okay, God, but you've got to do it. So I get done with my seminary. I'm like, cool, I'm done. No more schooling. He goes, no, you're not done yet. I said, are you crazy, God? Do you realize who I am? I don't do school. And he says, no, but I do. And I'm going to do it through you. And, you know, the cool part is, and this isn't to call attention to me. This is to call attention to God that in two weeks I'll be submitting the final draft for my doctoral dissertation. (laughs) That is for God because that's not me. I still struggle with school. I still struggle with the idea of even being in school. But God, by saying, you use who I am. God, I give you who I am. I'll surrender who I am because I believe you're big enough, God, for my brokenness. I believe that you can handle my brokenness, God. Take it and do with it what you want to do with it. And it's just... Thing after thing and item after item. And here's what I know is that we all live with some sort of hurt, some sort of brokenness, some sort of struggle. In fact, Romans 3.23 says this, All have sin and fall short of the glory of God. That word sin, like I said at the beginning, is we just don't hit the mark. We miss the mark. It's actually an archery term. We just don't hit the bullseye. We just miss it. And by just missing it, we all need a Savior. And Jesus is big enough to handle... When we miss it, when we just don't hit the mark. And so since we don't miss the mark, we need Christ. And that's what happened to the woman at the well. She'd been looking for love, and as the song goes, in all the wrong places. And here love shows up. She says, look, I want to scoop you up. I want to take who you are and use you. And because she allowed her brokenness to be used, many, it says, many came to Christ because of that. The second thing is this. Can you trust Jesus through your brokenness? Can, can you trust Jesus through your brokenness? And we often approach Jesus with the mindset of, I can trust you with some things, God. I, I can trust you with some things, but I don't know if I can trust you with all things. You know, I, I'll give you certain things, Lord. I'll give you praise when things are going well. You know, I like it when things are going well. I'll give you praise then, Lord. You know, I'll give you thanks when I'm about to eat. I'll give you this and I'll give you that, but my brokenness, my hurt, Lord, my dreams, the things that are getting in the way, those roadblocks, give you those too. Lord, I don't know if I'm ready to give that much. God, what do you want to do with these things? What do you want to do with these hurts if I give them to you? God replies, I want to heal them. I want to heal them. I want to use them. I want to redeem them because there's nothing you're going through that I cannot redeem, he says. God sent Jesus to pay the full price for all that's not right in God's eyes. All the hurt and all the brokenness, we just have to trust him through these broken pieces. Jetson W. Van De Vender in 1896 penned these words All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him and in his presence daily live. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. So I wonder, church, what stands in our way? What gets in our way of being used by God to serve as we're designed to serve, to give as we're designed to give? What stands in our way? What roadblocks are there? What hurt from our past? What pain might we have that somebody caused us? Or what dreams are we allowing in a selfish nature, to get in the way of what God wants to do in and through our lives? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me.